this week, my voice is back. I don't know, like 99%, which doesn't mean it's a good voice. It just means it's back. Anyway, I want to talk about an old clip from Milton Friedman and a whole lot more on this week's Corey Truax Show. It occurred to me just the moment I turned the mic on to say, hey, my voice is back, that no one's really going to celebrate that because I don't have an awesome voice. I wasn't blessed with that. But nevertheless, it is back, and I feel great, and so this is good news. You know, Wayne wrote into the show and said, hey, I don't think you sounded nearly as bad as you thought you did. And I listened back to the show for a minute, and I didn't sound as bad as I thought it did last week, but I cannot express to you how bad I felt. Like, I was, like, mentally so muddy during that show and genuine physical pain doing that show with the flu I was diagnosed by the way I actually had the flu and so it's good to be back just feeling normal again for this week's show with lots to do on it before we get started let me tell you this my name is Corey Truax we're dedicated to smarter a deeper better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax show amongst many other things I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church Beachwood Church meets in Greenville South Carolina at 10:30 on Sunday mornings we would love to have you yes you any given Sunday morning at Beachwood Church right there in Greenville at 10.30. I got some feedback from you guys last week. I sort of did a off-the-cuff, I didn't mean to really, but I did like a, a defense of capitalism, a defense of free markets. As we were talking about something else, like I had a bit of a soliloquy on the virtue of free markets, that it was around 1776 that, yes, that has to do with the uh, the institution of the Declaration of Independence and the coming of America, but it was also the publishing year of the Wealth of Nations and how we just see life get so much better once free markets and capitalism came into the economic thinking of the planet. And then I got some responses from you. I, I got a, an email from someone named Elaine. I got one from, what is this? That is Peter. Uh, there's a couple other here, a <clears throat> couple others here about that. Just about capitalism and free markets and thinking through how the world is made better and how folks are brought out of poverty. And not all of those were disagreeable. Uh, some of them just had a couple challenges. And so but here's what I recognized in some of the feedback I got from you. And also what I'm seeing nationally is just I watch the news. I'm seeing the same headlines you are. And I'm witnessing the same conversation nationally that you're witnessing. We are at a juncture in the American story where we are discussing whether or not capitalism, free markets, these are technically the same thing, free market capitalism, I prefer, I prefer the term free markets, on whether or not it's worth having. If the other systems of economics, if the organizing structures of the economy of things like socialism and collectivism, if those might be more laudable, if those might be more admirable and advantageous for humankind. And while I, I'm, I mean, I am, I think I've built with you, I mean, I have a tiny audience compared to the, to the big guys, but with you folks who listen all the time, that you listen every week, I hope I've built this credibility. I will say the thing that I believe, and I say the thing that I think has the most evidence. Uh, th that I don't, uh, I don't try to 
massage my language to make anybody particularly happy. I'm I'm not worried necessarily if I offend anybody. I mean, I'm I don't ever want to offend anybody needlessly and just be a jerk. But I'm not offended if any particular group that identifies with me or likes me doesn't like what I say. So I'll give you an opinion on. I don't know, the morals of alcohol consumption, and I don't mind if some of my Southern Baptist brothers get mad at me. And I will give you my position on women in ministry, and some of my charismatic people or some of the women that I listen to that are in ministry, they don't like it, but but my my position on that, that's okay. As long as I'm not a jerk about it, I'm just going to tell you the best that I can what I believe and why I believe it. And so as I get into this discussion, as we're about to have I think it's part of this national election as well, a, a real deep conversation about whether or not we want to be an economy that is free. If the organizing principle of our economics and our society should be freedom and individualism and the freedom to interact with one another in commerce, or do we want big structures and governments to be more involved in our economic system? As we're going to have that discussion, I want to be transparent and say, I know capitalism has had its problems. I know that greed is part of the human spirit. I am a Christian. I do believe in the original sin. And I believe in the fallenness of man. And therefore, I yeah, I believe in greed and I believe in avarice. And so, I know that capitalism has had its excesses. excesses. And I know free markets have their challenges. But... I mean this from the depths of my heart. Free markets have been so good to people. The world has been so much better off because of free markets. So much so that I don't think a whole lot is worth defending that's outside of biblical stuff. I feel like free markets are worth defending. Free market and the idea of capitalism, Adam Smith's twin books. Before he wrote Wealth of Nations, he wrote a book called Moral Sentiments. I think that's what it's called. And so he he talked about moral sentiments. How mankind must be governed by morality, must be good. And if mankind is good, if men will be good, if women will be good, well then they can be free. And if you have good, virtuous people being free, then what you're going to have is success. And you're going to have plenty. You won't have you won't have an attitude or, or, or a reality that is scarcity, but you'll have one of that which is plentiful. There's, there's going to be enough to go around if you have good people being free because good people being free will create wealth for all people. And we have seen that since the advent of free markets and capitalism. And so here I stand. I'm somebody who first wants to defend things that matter eternally. Bottom line, I don't have a lot of interest in defending the United States of America because it's not eternal. It, it came into being basically in its current form in 1787 with the passage of the Constitution. We got the Constitution ratified in 1789. I mean, I would argue that the Civil War fundamentally changes in the 1850s. We're really young. I mean, if you even go further to some of the Supreme Court cases into the night into the into the 1900s. We are a very different place than we once were. We're not going to be around all that much longer in context of history. It might be our kids or our grandkids. Here I am at 33. It could be my grandkids that see the United States of America not be anymore. Break up into other systems of government. Like this is, I don't have a lot of uh, passion defending the United States because, well, it's really transient. It's going to go away. 
And so I'm this guy that's really interested in defending that which is eternal. So we talk about biblical inerrancy. And we talk about the governance of the church and the the sacraments of, of baptism and communion. Like these are the things that I'll get fired up about and I want to defend. When it comes to soteriology, how how folks are saved and how the gospel is spread. I'll get really fiery over that stuff. And then I'll have intellectual exercise and intellectual interest over things like taxes and economics and gun control. You know, I'll have some more moral fire about things like abortion because it is the, the murder of the unborn. But with those things that I'm, I'm truly passionate about, those biblical things, for whatever reason, free markets also really get me excited. They're worth defending, I think, from a moral perspective because they are good for people. Humans flourish better under free markets. And as free markets are under attack by Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on one side, but free markets are also under attack by Donald Trump on the other side with tariffs and trying to do fair trade through and not having an international trade system that is truly free. It's not a free market. As the market seems to be blamed for inequities and inequalities and unfairness and injustice, as the market is attacked by all sides, it is worth defending Because a lot of the stuff that you might think you love about your country and the things you love about your culture, a lot of that comes back to free markets. A lot of the stuff that you hold most dear in a materialistic society are the product of free markets. That might be entertainment stuff. Yeah, that's your phone. Yes, that's your Netflix account. And it's Amazon delivering stuff to your house. But it's also the medicines that keep us going. Like the... The abundance that we have, we, we, we tend to, we act like people that live in such scarcity. There's so much negativity around the United States of America. Guys, that's the best time to be alive, man. There, you can have some negativity if you want. Some of you thrive on that negativity. You just love it. But this is a great time to be alive. We have so much stuff. There's so much abundance. And a lot of the stuff that you hold dear and you love the most, it's free markets, guys. We've got football coming back here soon. You don't get to have a country that can spend billions of dollars on sports as recreation unless you have free markets to build enough wealth that there is an entertainment market. Right? This is this is so good. Markets are good and it's given us so much. So in that vein, they deserve our defense. And here's how I want to go about defending free markets. Milton Friedman might be called the father of modern economics. He's he's passed now. But he was the best voice we had in defense of free market capitalism and free markets. And I love Milton Friedman, Friedman for being a winsome character. I, I love Milton Friedman for being somebody who who, who would talk to the, the folks who are skeptical of his position and skeptical of the other side, or excuse me, skeptical of him, and he would never talk with them in anger. He, he did a great job of happily being a happy warrior for his position, which has been a position that's been the best for all mankind. And so as I was thinking through this, as the free markets are being attacked, who are we missing? I mean, we're missing Milton Friedman. We're missing the best voice there was on economics. Just ma- he made it really interesting. So 
I have a favorite clip of his, my favorite thing Milton Friedman ever did. He did it on a show called Phil Donahue. <laughs> Some of you might remember. Some of my listeners are old enough to remember Phil Donahue. And they had a great discussion. It was about two minutes long. When we come back from this break, I'm going to play, play it for you. I'm going to play all of it. And so when we come back, I want you to hear it. I'm going to start and stop it along the way. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about free markets, some of their downsides, but also we're going to defend them because they are best for mankind. We'll do that and do a whole lot more on this edition of the Corey Truax Show. When we return, stick with us. Welcome back. If you are not following me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, why? I'm very offended. You've hurt my feelings. I'm just kidding. But for real, if you're on those, if you're on those platforms or any of them, it would be a good idea for you to follow me, Corey Truax, wherever you can, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, because there's lots of content there. You get the show when it comes out. I, sit, I usually do a little preview video. You can get get more content throughout the week of what I'm thinking about in the news and what's just going on in my life. So you should do that. Follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. Here we go. I went back and found this Milton Friedman and Phil Donahue discussion that will help us think through what kind of economic system is best. And Milton Friedman does a good job here of defending free markets. Phil Donahue does a decent job of challenging him. So the first voice you hear will be Phil Donahue, and then Milton Friedman will come in after that as they discuss greed and capitalism and virtue. Here we go. When you see around the globe the maldistribution of wealth, the, the desperate plight of millions of people in underdeveloped countries, uh, when you see so few haves and so many have-nots, when you, when you see the greed and the concentration of power within, don't, aren't you ever, did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism? Very interesting point from Phil Donahue. Some of the things that I would quickly give before Milton Friedman does. The idea that there are some people with a lot and some people with less is not inherently evil or inherently immoral. We actually have a God who says, there are some people I bless and some people I don't bless as much. The person with a lot is not necessarily more technically blessed. Someone with less material wealth might be the more blessed person. This is a biblical principle. And the lack of material wealth is not a sign of cursing. So here's this idea from Phil Donahue that naturally some people having a lot of stuff is bad. Well, that's not true at all. And people having a different amount of stuff, different amount of wealth, that's also bad. Well, that's not true. These are not inherent immoralities. And then he also just says greed. He equates the two. That some people have a lot means they're being greedy. Is Bill Gates greedy? Bill Gates is one of the most philanthropic people on this planet. He gives an insane amount away. Is Warren Buffett greedy? I don't like Warren Buffett. I think he's a bad guy personally. He is not greedy, though. He's got his moral problems, but it's not greed. He gives away an insane amount of money. He's also one of the top five wealthiest men in the world. So greed and having a lot are not the same thing. They're not cause of one another. So Phil Donahue, in his question, already has some a, a great deal of 
assumptions that are wrong. They're incorrect assumptions. But his question there to Milton Friedman is when you see all of that, you see that some people have a lot and some people have a little, and some you, you see all this greed out there, doesn't that make you doubt capitalism? And whether greed's a good idea to run on? Well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Wow, that's good stuff. This is something that the, the Bernies of the world, Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's, and those that have a critique of capitalism, critique of free markets, can I ask you about your, your alternatives? What system are you thinking is not run by greed? And not run by greedy people. You know, I know it's they're, all our systems are going to be run by greedy people because all of our systems are run by people. And people are greedy. We go to that idea of human nature, and human nature is naturally flawed. You go back to the socialist systems of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Of course the Russian systems were run by greed. The oligarchs and the very few they would accumulate power for themselves to their greed. The Chinese system now is still run on greed. What, you, what do you think is happening in Western Europe with the things that you think are socialist? There's just a bunch of really selfless people running those things? No. Th those don't exist. W what system is not run on greed? Because all that then happens a lot of times in these, quote, socialist countries, is then you just have folks greedy for power instead of money. They're just greedy to gain, gain more power for themselves, to gain more power for government, to gain more power to the central system. And it's not just, it's not naturally more virtuous to want power instead of wealth. All the systems of the world run on greed because we're all greedy. Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. <laughs> this, the world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from a, from a, a bureaucrat. I have to stop him for a second. We're going to rewind a little on this. There's a key phrase there. All the good things of human history have come from people pursuing their own self-interest. I guess some folks in history might have had a, a purely altruistic, a purely philanthropic motivation for why they decided to do a good thing. But is that how Tesla and Edison gave us widespread electricity? Were they trying to do a good deed? Or were they both greedy for their own name, renowned, and wealth? If you know anything about Thomas Edison, he's one of the worst among us. He didn't give us all those awesome inventions because he liked people. He was one of the most misanthropic people of the 20th century, and I guess the 19th century as well. He just wanted everyone to know his name. He was greedy for fame. He wanted everyone to pay him for his stuff. And you know who benefited? We did! Did Benjamin Franklin create all of his awesome inventions out of his own altruism? Of course he didn't. Listen, Benjamin Franklin's my favorite founding father. Well, that's probably George Washington. But Benjamin Franklin's my second favorite founding father. Benjamin Franklin, 
not a good dude. Right? He's, he had lots of problems, and one of them was his own pride. He loved people to think he was brilliant. It is people that pursue their own self-interest that give us so much cool stuff. People want their name or their profit to grow, and so they do something notable because that's human nature. Human nature is to be motivated by those things, and that motivation has led to some of, or maybe all of our greatest achievements. Come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from a, from a, a bureaucrat. Henry Ford didn't revolutionize the automobile industry that way. In the only case... I should continue on that. Your iPhone didn't come because Steve Jobs was ordered to do it by the government. Widespread use of the internet didn't come from government, Decided no matter what Al Gore told you. What is now becoming a thing of the past, but satellite TV wasn't because the government figured it out. All of your favorite stuff was people pursuing their own self-interest and it created a better world around them. Cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about. The only cases in recorded history are where they, where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. This is totally true. Phil Donahue says there that he's worried about the have-nots and those that are in poverty. You know where people get out of poverty? Capitalist countries. When China instituted more free markets, it was the most successful anti-poverty program in the history of mankind. Millions. I think, it's, I think they say it's 100 million. 100 million people were, were lifted out of poverty because of the institution of free markets in China. And that's not government spending or any government program or giving government any power. It's letting people be free. Freedom is dangerous sometimes. Freedom is messy sometimes. But freedom has also given us so much awesome stuff. If you want to know where the masses are worse, worse off, worst off, it's exactly in the kinds of societies that depart from that. So that the record of history is absolutely crystal clear that there is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lot of the ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities that are unleashed by a free enterprise system. But it seems to reward not virtue as much as ability to manipulate the system. And what does reward virtue? You think the uh, communist commissar rewards virtue? You think a Hitler rewards virtue? You think, excuse me, if you'll pardon me, do you think American presidents reward virtue? He goes so fast here, you missed the great point. Here's, so here is Milton making this great point. Well, first, free markets have been the best for people. It's actually even been the best for poor people. If you're going to be, let me say it this way, if you're going to be a poor person in a socialist country or a free market country, it's still better to be poor here. It is better to be poor in America than it is to be poor in Germany. All right? This is our standard of living for our low-income people is better than their standard of living for their low-income people. When you measure it about with things like square footage of where you live 
and appliances in your household, air conditioning, uh, ownership of cars, our poor are better off than their poor. Because free markets are better for people than socialized, collectivized systems. So he goes from that one, from that one argument. Phil, Phil Donahue doesn't even respond. He's just, well, well, it seems like it rewards. It doesn't reward virtue. It doesn't reward you for doing good. It, re- it rewards you for gaming the system. Well, that's that's. Tr- I think that's true. By the way, in free market capitalism, yeah, some people are not rewarded for having the best thing. They're rewarded for being the best connected. And that's not best for the economy. That's not best for people. That's a problem inside free market capitalism. That's true. And Milton Friedman's going to make the argument here that's a problem in every system. But really quick, when Phil Donahue says, it doesn't reward virtue. Let's just take the iPhone. It did change our lives, guys. The iPhone's changed everything. When you really think about it, couple things. Communication, sure, through phone and text and email on your phone, and then all the apps that come along for video messaging. But you guys think of this. When you think of Uber and Lyft, some people making a living off those apps, and then now some people making a supplemental income off those apps. Before the smartphone, was that possible? No. Those apps brought us together. You could go on to things like Etsy and some things on Pinterest. Like, There's been a whole other part of the economy that's been built off the existence of the iPhone, and if the iPhone didn't exist, those parts of the economy couldn't exist. And we could go through a bunch of other products that have been created. And so you, let me say it this way, the iPhone is a virtuous invention. It's been used for some evil, but it's been so good for people. And how was Steve Jobs and the rest of the people at Apple rewarded? They were rewarded with billions of dollars in sales. When Bill Gates comes along with Microsoft Office and he makes computing so much easier for your home computer, for yourself, he makes computing possible for mass corporations and he makes everything more efficient through that software. How was Microsoft rewarded for their work? They were rewarded by making more millionaires than any other company has ever made. Did you know that? Microsoft made more millionaires than any other company has ever made. And who benefited? All of us did. They didn't do it to be good. They did it to make profit. They did it to make a name for themselves, and we all benefited from it. So Phil Donahue says here, well, it doesn't reward virtue. Well, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and a bunch of other folks did things that were ultimately good for people. You can call that virtuous if you want. And then they were rewarded for it. Capitalism has its problems, but it's so much better than all of the other options. And so I'm going to rewind here a little bit to Phil Donahue's objection. You can listen to him, and then Milton Friedman respond. You think a Hitler rewards virtue? You think, excuse me, if you'll pardon me, do you think American presidents reward virtue? Do they choose their appointees on the basis of the virtue of the people appointed or on the basis of their political clout? Is it really true that political self-interest is nobler somehow than economic self-interest? I feel like I just made that point a minute ago. We act like that 
money is the is the measurement of someone is if someone's good or bad. But in all of the other systems that that the Bernies and the AOCs and those that have skepticism towards free markets, all of your other options are going to have the same problems. People are zealous for power. People are zealous for influence. People are zealous for wealth. And people operate in a way to get their own self-interest. Here's the thing that capitalism does. It recognizes that we are going to need good people to provide a structure enough for freedom to work, for free markets to work. But we also recognize that people aren't naturally good, that they're going to pursue only their self-interest, and the way that you actually, uh, your, your best self-interest is to do things that other people want. Consider a system that does that. Well, how do I best benefit myself? Create something or invent something that helps everyone. That's free market capitalism. Come up with something that helps people and you'll be so rich. What a system that is. That's the exact right motivation to apply. Here's the last little bit of Milton Friedman on Phil Donahue. Is nobler somehow than economic self-interest? You know, I think you're taking a lot of things for granted. And just tell me where in the world you find these angels who are going to organize society for us. Well, I don't even trust you to do that. And there's him being very clever. He's more winsome than I am. and I wish I could be a little bit more like uh, Milton Friedman in that. Like that's, that's another thing about those who are skeptical of free markets and you want to give more power to regulators and you want to give government more power. Oh, so these are the good guys? These are the virtuous people? Seriously. Do you look at Republicans and Democrats and see virtuous people? Do you see the folks who would uh, appoint the regulators and see moral, good, decent people who wouldn't make decisions of their own self-interest? Maybe the healthiest thing to do in recognizing the reality of human governance is that humans are flawed. And so we have to have systems that recognize that reality and that provide checks and balances. The best system that humans have come up with has been this American system. It's been our model of governance and our model of economics. In part because we recognize the human condition. The founders of the country, you will find in Madison's notes on the convention, they recognize that the natural heart of man is to accumulate power for himself, for herself. And so, to safeguard against the accumulation of power into one set of people, we're going to have them pull on each other in tension. So that the president has power, but so does the Congress and so do the courts. And the courts are going to be so zealous for, for their power, they will pull against the Congress. And the Congress is going to be so zealous for their power, they will pull against the president, and so forth and so on. And it's, it's literally using the fallen nature of man to balance one another. Listen. The American capitalist system 
has had its deficiencies. I freely admit that. Those deficiencies do not lead me to believe we should abandon it. Freedom is better. Free markets are better. You're going to have those that take advantage of others. You're going to have, you're really going to have that in every system. But as we have this national conversation, as it is, regarding whether or not we should be more socialist or more capitalist, let me just remind everybody, it is capitalism that has given us all this prosperity. In socialism everywhere, it has been practiced and tried. It has not brought prosperity. It has brought scarcity. Let's work on having a more virtuous people work inside a capitalist system so that we can have some prosperity with stability and not enter into the scarcity mindset that comes along with socialism. When we come back, we'll come off of the philosophical, the big ideas. We'll get to some things that are happening in the news right now. We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on Christian Talk 92.9 and 91.9 FM. Also, wherever you're listening to the podcast, whether that be Spotify or Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, the many, many various and sundry places where we are distributed. Thank you for listening. It's always appreciated when you share the show. Some of you do that very faithfully, and I am grateful to you anytime you do that. I will admit, definitely last week's show was, was down on the numbers and it could have been for several reasons. It could have been my terrible voice. It could have been the flu. It also could have been because I uploaded the wrong file the first time. Sorry about that, guys. I, I uploaded a, 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 the wrong show, and so uh, I had to get that uh, fixed. So thank you for sticking with me, and uh, we'll get back to being good at this this week, or at least better than it was last week. So the show's going all the way from like a D- minus to a solid C+, plus just in one week. So our turnaround on higher qualities is doing pretty well on the Corey Act show. All right, let's actually do some news. You know, I, I appreciate you, the audience, for allowing me to indulge in those big, broader ideas way more often than I indulge in the news. And so that's what we did for the first chunk of the show here. So we'll do some things that are actually in the headlines. It's actually a really slow news week, by the way. One of the reasons we have space to do a big, broad conversation about capitalism and the societies that are best for people is because... I feel like the two biggest stories all week were that the <laughs> the president seemed to want to purchase Greenland and also the Planned Parenthood story. So let's start with that Planned Parenthood story because there's lots of there's a lot of nuances in there to to go through. So here's the facts of the case and then some commentary. The administration, I'm grateful, has did this. They instituted a rule that if you want Title X funding, so you want funding from the federal government to do health care, to, to provide health care services in low-income areas, you can't also be providing abortion. And so this is directly aimed at Planned Parenthood, because I don't think, can't think of anybody or any other organization this would apply to. But Planned Parenthood likes to say, likes to make the claim that they're out there doing all kinds of good health care for low-income people. Low-income women are getting health services from Planned Parenthood, but they also provide abortion. So this rule basically sets it up for Planned Parenthood. You have to make a choice. Either you are going to do your abortions, or you can do this, this work that you say is so important to you. you. You can provide 
these health services, these various and sundry health services, to these low-income ladies, or you can provide abortion, but you got to pick one. And Planned Parenthood showed what they valued. You can attack the administration for setting up the choice, but the, uh, the, the rule is a just rule. A lot of us out here, there's about 40% of the country that calls themselves pro-life. We don't like that our money goes to destroy the lives of children in the womb. I don't like my money being complicit in child murder. And so this is fair that we don't want our money going to that. And, and then also, if Planned Parenthood has, <laughs> has argued disingenuously and falsely for years that they provide medical services. All right, well, let's put your money where your mouth is. Here's $60 million, that's what they lose, $60 million to go do your precious health services that you claim to do. You just have to stop killing children in the womb. And they chose to kill the children. So, so that, that's the facts of the case. The facts of the case are the, the administration set us up this rule that if you want Title X funding to do health care, you can't do abortion at the same time, and Planned Parenthood chose to keep their abortions and lose the $60 million. So some commentary on that. First, um, all, by the way, the commentary portion, it's going to upset everybody because I love doing that. So part of, it, all, part of it you will cheer, part of it you will be upset at. So here we go. First, it is really annoying to see people on, quote, my side or on the pro-life side celebrate the president as a pro-life champion. Guys, this is a pro-life policy. I'm grateful for this pro-life policy. But can we stop pretending that Donald Trump's a pro-life guy? Can we stop pretending that he even knew this was a rule? You, seriously. Let's go to 2016 Donald Trump. He's running for president. And you ask him what Title X is. Does he know what it even is? Does he know how it affects Planned Parenthood? Of course he doesn't. He, is, he, he really even showed during the campaign he doesn't even know the pro-life position. He said, he said the policy should be to imprison the women. Like, that's never been the pro-life position. He has no, he has no affinity for the pro-life position. The, the president is not your pro-life warrior. He just knows who his friends are. Pro-life people made the decision to be friends with him and support him, and he supports them back. I, that's the deal with the devil, and it, but it's worked out. It's worked out for pro-life people because they get these kinds of policies. So, one, can we stop pretending that the president is just deeply concerned for the, for the plight of the unborn? He doesn't care. He never has. We all know that guy's background. He's probably paid for some abortions in his lifetime. This is not, this is not helpful to associate him with the pro-life movement. So that's one. Two, I do love exposing Planned Parenthood. There is a, an objective truth here. Planned Parenthood is an evil organization. There's not moral ambiguity about what they do. They're an abortion industry. They make money off of abortions. They're ideological. The people who run Planned Parenthood, their board and those who are associated with them, they're ideologically, they heart abortion. They love abortion. They don't want it safe, legal, and rare. They want it safe, I guess. Which It's never safe. By nature, abortion is not safe. It's the killing of the unborn. And they want it legal, but they don't want it rare because they make a ton of money off of it. That's a billion-dollar industry and they want your dollars to do it. And so the objective truth is Planned Parenthood is an evil organization, and they're a dishonest organization. They have been peddling that garbage for years that, well, where will women get their mammograms? Did you know 
the Planned Parenthood world nationwide, they own zero of whatever those machines are called that do, that do mammograms. They, they own zero of them. When they say, where, where will low-income low women get their mammograms? What they mean is they refer people. Where will low-income women get their birth control? I don't know. CVS? How about there's all kinds of other there's all kinds of other health institutions in local communities that are providing abortions that give it out for free. Guys, there's a Walmart prescription for one of the most popular birth control pills. It's like four bucks a month. Like let's Planned Parenthood has been peddling the lie, peddling the garbage for a long time that they are a health care services institution. No, you're not. You're an abortion mill. That's what you are. You have often Often the case, we've, we've seen in some documentaries, you have outcast-type doctors, doctors that weren't doing well in other types of medicine. This is the type of medicine they were able to practice and make some money on, and so they go to the mill every day, the same way our granddads went to the mill and made whatever they made, and our grandmas went to the mill and, and sewed clothes together before all those jobs went to Mexico. These folks go to their Planned Parenthood every day, and they churn out burnt excuse me, they churn out killed children, murdered children. That's what they do. And so it is good. It is an objective good that they are they were exposed to pick one. Do you want to do your abortions or do you want to provide health services? And they made their choice. They made clear what they value. They value their abortions. And so that's a good thing from this week. So that, that was one big news story. Another one, they actually made me laugh. You know, when the president got elected, I mean, I wasn't uh, obviously particularly happy. I, I wouldn't have been happy the other direction. Once the election of 2016 became Clinton versus Trump, I was just like, all right, whatever, I don't care. But when he was elected, I tried to find bright sides. And one of them was, there's going to be some funny stuff. Like, I thought, I thought the headline we saw this week with the president is interested in buying Greenland. Like, I thought we'd get more of those. I thought we would get more headlines with, like, some crazy ideas. And it would be fun and funny. And so I, I saw this headline. I laughed at it. I thought it was a spoof. I thought it was supposed to be a, a parody story. And then it becomes kind of clear. No, like, for real, he was sort of interested. Like, why can't we buy Greenland? We should do a gigantic deal, a big real estate deal. And so if you didn't see that story, it's kind of funny. And it's, that's how slow of a, of a news week it's been that the President of the United States had some interest in buying Greenland was one of the, the main drivers. Okay, what well, some other things I wanted to do? Oh, yeah, and the Democratic uh, update on the Democratic primary season. I am noticing that there is a, a realization taking place in some candidates about the uh, the reality of the lanes they can travel in. To uh, let's go with this analogy: um, if there's a road to the nomination, there's only so many lanes on the road, and there I think a lot of candidates are realizing they're in the wrong lane, right? So, w what we saw shaping up at the beginning is that Joe Biden was going to be in the right lane. Let's go with the three lane highway, and he was going to be the most the most moderate. You can't call him conservative, but the most moderate. And that was going to be his lane. He was going to make the argument to the Democratic uh, electorate, I am, I'm steady, I'm safe, I'm not going to do a bunch of left-wing stuff, so I am palatable to the middle of the country, go with me. And then there was going to be, there was the left-wing, 
there was Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren out there that, that just are uh, they're, they're really clear that I mean the the American system in its foundations is flawed and it needs to be broken down and something new built in its place and then there there were some that I think were going to be the true middle Pete Buttigieg started there but the the, the calculus got made like for folks like Kamala Harris and Booker uh, Cory Booker the calculus was made I really can't compete with Joe Biden on the moderate side, and all the energy in our party is in the crazy left wing. The energy in the Democratic Party, if not the majority or the plurality of the votes, the energy is in the crazy left wingism. So everyone went crazy left wing. But now as the, the primaries get closer and the season is going by, folks like Kamala Harris are seeing their numbers weaken, Bernie's numbers are weakening, Elizabeth Warren strengthening a little. And you're seeing them back off some of the crazy left wingism. Specifically, this week, Kamala Harris fi- finally, this uh, she's a senator from California running for president in the Democratic primary, finally clarified that she's not for Medicare for all. She's she's not on the Bernie plan, the Bernie plan to abolish health insurance, abolish the very idea of it. It does not exist anymore. Abolish the idea of private medicine. All medicine and medical services become wards of the federal government and the federal government runs from top to bottom the entire healthcare system and the energy in the democratic party is for that idea but objectively it's a bad idea it's an unworkable idea and here's what's very important it's an unpopular idea when people actually stop to think about how the federal government runs things you look around at let's go with veterans affairs you can think about the jokes of the DMV. You can think about the post office. All the things the federal government does, and you think, man, that should not be how our healthcare system runs. Or you have folks who recognize, you know what? My insurance is expensive. Uh, it's it's causing some economic issues, but man, I, I do like how uh, what it provides, and I, I don't want to lose what I currently have. And so finally, folks like Kamala Harris and even Elizabeth Warren are starting to say, no, we shouldn't have absolute socialized medicine. And so that, that they're, they're, I think they're recognizing, a lot of them in that field, the idea of Medicare for all, government-controlled, top-to-bottom health care, it's a loser of an idea, and they're starting to moderate themselves, at least on that issue. Uh, final thing I wanted to get to for this week. If you did not see over last weekend, in Portland, Oregon, I don't know what to call. Is that a riot? It definitely wasn't a protest. It looked like a war zone in some places in Portland, Oregon. If you get on YouTube and look at any of those videos, I think you'll be disturbed. It does not look like an American city. This organization called Antifa, it's just a bunch of radical left-wingers, lighting stuff on fire and doing all kinds of vandalism and breaking things and doing violence, like actually just beating up random people. Like Antifa members, people in masks, just accosting random people on the street for no reason and then beating them. This happening in Portland, and it's seeming to be clear that the mayor there in Portland has no interest in restoring order to his city, letting them run amok. And so... I started seeing those images and on the back of the last two weeks when we had shootings in El Paso and in Dayton. 
in th- there's this discussion going on on the the rhetoric, the words coming out of leaders of all sides leading to this type of behavior. And so I just had a, one last thought here for all of us. The people who do violent things are responsible for their actions. So the, the person who shot up the congressional baseball practice, the Republicans, uh, he was a Bernie Sanders supporter who said, you know, Bernie Sanders was saying that Republican policies were killing people because their health care policies were killing people. He had to go hurt them. That shooter in El Paso, in his, uh, in his manifesto, he had some things that sounded like Donald Trump with the invasion of Hispanics, but he also had some global warming stuff and how the... The, we're going to all die if we don't stop with the, the big corporate, the big corporation. So he he sounded like Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders in his manifesto, and so you have folks on the left saying, "Well, the the, the language of Donald Trump is causing people to be violent," and folks on the right saying the language of Bernie Sanders and folks on the left is causing people to be violent. Well, to be clear, language isn't violence, and it does not directly incite violence, and it's not our politicians' fault when people do violent things. But here is something valuable for all of us. We would all benefit by bringing down the temperature. We would all benefit as a country if our level of discourse would cool down. And especially as a show that comes from a Christian perspective, we are supposed to be peacemakers. So there's a place to speak truth. Like I even think, you know, 10 minutes ago, I told the truth about Planned Parenthood. They do kill kids. There's a place to speak truth, but there's also sometimes some needless aggression that we would all do well to diminish in our own households, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our business settings, where we can bring down the temperature. It will benefit the culture more broadly if we could all calm down with our language. We're all out of time. When we come back next week, we'll do some more news. I'll hopefully get back into something of a sports segment. Maybe it'll be a busier news week. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, peace and love.